Yes, Father, I shall become a cast. A podcast. Specifically, this podcast, which is called A Cowardly Superstitious Pod. And it's about the television show Gotham, and it's hosted by me, Nate, a lean, mean fighting machine who just so happens to love the television show Gotham. And it's also hosted by my friend Josh, a low, slow, everyday Joe who hates the television show Gotham. Say hello to the people, Josh. Hello, and welcome back to our podcast about good jams. Today we're going to talk about a bunch of great music and also Eat My Bubby's Peach Jam. It's going to be great. God, that sounds like a good podcast that was better than the one that we're doing. Can we do that one instead? Or yeah. like, I don't know, anything? What if we're just instead of talking about Gotham, I just explained Metal Gear lore to you for the next half hour? I'd be a little... I'd back away from that. I'd rather eat the jam and talk about good jams. What, what, if you had the choice between having to hear me talk about Metal Gear lore or Kingdom Hearts lore, which one would you pick? God... They both sound terrible. Um, and they're surprisingly similar. I guess Kingdom Hearts. They both do this thing where they decide that the villain from the first game is really important and also a bunch of other characters are him. And then it retroactively makes the things that happen in the first game seem kind of weird. See, I'm okay with that because like Kingdom Hearts, we can talk about Donald Duck and Winnie the Pooh and how they're all the evil enemy guy. Yeah, they're all him. They're all Zim and this, or whatever the fuck his name is. We're getting off topic. Let's anyway. get, let's discuss how great my Nana's jam is. I've never had your Nana's jam. Is this a bit, or does your Nana actually make jam? And why have you been keeping it from me <laughs> for all the years that we've been friends? Uh, so Gotham, Gotham. Uh, the show Gotham. Yes, we're talking about season one, episode eleven, Rogues Gallery. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> anyway, this episode is about mostly about Jim working at Arkham Asylum as a guard. And there's a mysterious assailant going around and electrocuting the patients in like a sort of electrotherapy kind of way to, to fuck up their brains. And Jim's got to figure out who it is, except he does a really shitty job of that <laughs> and doesn't actually do it. Uh, and then at the end of this whole plot line, the... They, it turns out it was the most obviously evil character in the episode, is the one who's evil, and he and his lackey escape from Gotham uh, from Arkham after killing the director of the Institute. Uh, also happening in this episode, Poison Ivy and Selina Kyle move into Barbara's seemingly abandoned apartment. Barbara has a fight with Montoya, and then tries to call the apartment and gets fucked with by Poison we'll Ivy. We'll save later. that for later. <laughs> Um, what else happens in this episode? Oh, the penguin gets thrown in a holding cell. A attempt to shake down some fishermen goes awry. What happens with Falcone in this episode? Nothing? Nothing really. Oh, oh, no. Fish Mooney's beginning to make her moves to, like, solidify her power yes. before Falcone's she... Falcone's not in this episode, but Fish has a thing. Yeah, she's getting a power base together before she makes her final move to push Falcone out. And it mostly involves sending Butch to talk to one of his old friends. Yes. And we'll talk about what happens with that. Let's get into it. I want to start by saying that this episode opens up really weird. Yeah, it opens with the patients at Arkham doing a production, a very cheap and weird production of The Tempest. Which is cool in its own way, but it's still like they're all dressed up in mostly like anything they can find in the custodian closet. Yeah, the guy the guy who turns out to be the, the bad guy is playing Prospero. And he's wearing, like, a mop as a wig and, like, big fake glasses. <laughs> and then there's, like, a guy who's playing, I think it's Ariel, because he sings the full Fathom 5 part. 
and he's wearing like a bunch of feather dusters tied to his back as like a weird like crest. It's pretty great. Actually. It's, it's very good. <laughs> but then it goes into this ridiculous montage that's while he's doing his soliloquy. But, but the montage itself goes into like every character that we're going to see throughout the episode mm-hmm. for like a second. Yeah, this has a very um, theatrical structure to this episode. We basically get an overture and a dramatis persona in the very beginning, which really doesn't amount to much. There isn't really like a payoff to the theatrical staging at the beginning of this episode, but I do kind of... In- I like whenever the show does weird things with its structure and, like, experiments with its visual style, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, it was it was just, uh, weird and new, uh, but... Like everything fun. Gotham does, it ended up being kind of sloppy and unnecessary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the theme. Uh, but let's talk about how this episode was the she. Yes, I have that. That's my first note in my notes is just she. Uh, yes, the director of Arkham in this, Dr. Lang? Our own Clay Davis from The Wire or Isaiah Whitlock Jr. And he's mm. great. And I'm actually really sad that he doesn't make it throughout the episode. No, he does die at the end. Spoiler alert. There is, we do get one really good scene of him interacting with Bullock that I really liked. Like, it's like a very casual, like, interrogation where they're sitting at Bullock's desk and Bullock's, like, fucking with him. That was like, oh, these guys are really good actors. They're much better than everyone else on this show. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing a great job. Yeah, and, like, him as a political figure, he's really in his element. Um, It's a very different role from Clay Davis. He's playing, like, a sort of fussy by-the-books guy, whereas Clay Davis was sort of this, like, sleazy... No, he's clearly sleazy, because throughout the episode, uh, he's trying to find ways to get Gordon out, because that's, like, his one mission during, like, being the director of Arkham Asylum, is Gordon is terrible, blame everything on Gordon to get rid of Gordon, which you can tell came directly from the mayor, and I thought that was, like, well done. Yeah, no, I agree, but it's more of a self-preservation thing than it is, like, uh, a greed thing, the way that Clay Davis's machinations are played. Maybe. And it's also, like, Clay Davis's whole deal is that he's, like, he's charming in, like, a weird way, and he's, like, a avuncular figure who just also happens to be, like, this super corrupt representation of the political machine. Whereas this guy, uh, Bullock refers to him as the ultimate cheese grinder. <laughs> Don't know what that means, but yep. okay. <laughs> Bullock sure does have a way with words. Um, I just think he was a refreshing change of pace. It's a shame that they didn't write an ongoing role for him. Yeah, for a second. Okay, when he first showed up, for a second I was like, is he man bat? Because his name is like Dr. Lang, and like man bat's real name is Kirk Langstrom. And I was like, is this guy going to wind up being man bat? And I had forgotten that he dies. And then he do- when he does die, I was like, oh, okay. That was just a, that was nothing. That would have been amazing. That was me reading, that. reading too far into a single syllable of this guy's name. <laughs> Listen, with this show, you never know. But Do you like Man Bat? I don't want to ask that question right now. How do you feel about Man Bat as a character? Because I never know how I feel about him. He's okay. He's not anywhere close to my favorite Batman villain. I think maybe he, I like him maybe more in concept than I do in execution because he's like a big bat werewolf. Like, that's cool. But then I can't really think of any man-bat stories where I'm like, those are great. Yeah, I can't either. Honestly, honestly. the best man-bat thing that happens is in Batman and Son, when Talia attacks the art museum with the man-bat ninjas. 
That's pretty cool. Do you remember that? That shit's yeah. dope. But I, I honestly can't think of like a single great Mad Bad story either. So I'm on board with that. All right, Mad Bad Divergence over. We <laughs> get back to talking about this episode. Uh, well, let's talk about the other guest star of this episode, which actually has a more recurring role, uh, Mrs. Deadpool. Oh, yes. Uh, what is her? Marina Beccarin? She She's in Firefly and Deadpool. She shows up. She's Dr. Leslie Tompkins, who is a comics character. Yes, a much older comics character. Yes, yeah, she's she's aged down and then made into kind of Gordon's new love interest. Potentially. Potentially. Uh, well, at least they don't get too far into it in this episode. But our first instance of seeing her is coming over and uh, examining a patient that was recently attacked by another inmate and just slapping them. Yeah. <laughs> just... Psh- like, like the there's like a character uh, who's like seemingly a nurse that uh, said she can't give them medication. They need like an actual doctor. So mm-hmm. we turns see the, out there's foreshadowing. We see the doctor, and all she does is slap. Him. Well, that's the first thing she does, and then she's basically like, "Hey, he's fine." Exactly, know. which is like ridiculous. We need a doctor. Ah, it's fine. How do you feel about Leslie Tompkins as a character? Not necessarily the show's version, but like her as a whole. Because she's an underrated part of Batman's supporting cast, I would say. Um, you don't see that much of her, honestly. Um, she's not, like, majorly focused. She's kind of in the background. Especially, like, not as much as even other background characters like Lucius Fox. Sure. I like that there's another good person in Gotham who's doing good things who's not Commissioner Gordon or Batman. I like, mean, she's basically the DC version of Nightmares. Yeah, kind of. But, I mean, she's got, like, the clinic and, like, she's helping, like... You know, kids on the street, and I like any like when they have like those moments where she'll like pull Batman aside and be like, "Oh, there's some shit going on. I've been hearing about it at the clinic. Go do that. Go help people. <laughs> Stop just punching people and go help these kids." Um, it she's also in- responsible for Stephanie Brown surviving war games, so you know, big ups to her for that. Who? Whatever. Uh, anyway. Um- so, she's back. She's back. Hey, <laughs> shut up. She's back. She's currently in continuity. She's the spoiler again. I don't think she's done anything in a while. Or no, she was in um, James Tinian's Detective Comics run. So she's back, and you can shut up, and Stephanie Brown's great. And they killed Wally West again, Josh. <laughs> We're getting way off topic. <laughs> Rain it in. I'm already it in. I'm sorry. I'm just very protective of the, like, three C-list characters that I love. <laughs> Wally West isn't C-list. He's B-list. Anyway, Brown uh, uh, it is cool they bring in another uh, Batman ally character to like join Jim Gordon, and it's all right. They kind of made her like younger. Um, it's because they made her a little bit true, but it's all right they made her younger because like she'll be a major figure hopefully when Batman's around. Yeah, she sticks around for a while in this show at least. Um, so let's talk about Poison Ivy. <laughs> yeah, she's back. Poison Pepper. Uh, she's cold on the streets, and... Real this... sad. Just just incredibly sad. Like, we talked about this earlier, about how they really made her have a dark origin, with her father being abusive, and then framed for a crime he didn't commit, and then her mother slitting her own wrists, and now she's on the street, being sad. Yeah, it's like, the darkest thing that happened in this show, but completely off-screen into this one secondary character. Uh, yeah. It, then... it just seems... Like, too much. Yeah, it's really heavy. It's one of those things where I, I'm i sort of fascinated by moments like this when they happen in sort of, like, commercial art. Where it's, like, just kind of banal bookkeeping behind the scenes 
occurrences lead to incredibly dark shit happening in the show just because that's the easiest way to do it. Because it's like, oh, well, we're not going to have her mom and her dad. Her dad character's dead. And we're not going to have her mom back. So, yeah, she killed herself. Like, and it's like, oh, fuck. Do you not realize what you just did? Yeah. It's the same thing. Like, we just saw this play out recently with Roseanne. Where it was like, oh, Roseanne was racist. So she can't be back on the show. Well, how do we get rid of her character? I don't know. She OD'd. And it's like, damn. Okay. (laughs) Sure. I guess. (laughs) It's, like, that shit happens a lot. No, it does. And it's just, it's real weird. Um, there's, like, other instances, too, where, like, characters don't come back after a while. Uh, I, the one I remember fondly from my childhood, specifically, is uh, the original Spring of the Teenage Witch show. Uh-huh. Where uh, one of her aunts is dating the principal, and the principal's, like, a main character for, like, a long time, played by the lovable Martin Mull. Yes. And he, the last we see of him is he gets hit by a car. Wait, really? The end. Huh. We don't see him again after that. That's wild. It also goes back to, like, um, shows like Boy Meets World, where they have, like, this teacher that's a main character, and then he gets in a motorcycle accident, and then we never see him again. Yeah, well, he gets in the motorcycle accident, he's in the hospital, and then we never see him again, yeah. which is, like, he has, like, a moment with, like, the, what's his, what is the kid's name? Sean. Sean, in the hospital, and then he's just gone. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, up. that's, like, similar to what you're talking about. Exactly. Although, I do want to amend my previous comment because I actually just found out that in Girl Meets World, they brought that teacher back. Oh, they did bring him back? Yeah. Is he like Dark Man with like... <laughs> does no. he have like a fake face? No, he's Dead Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. He's a ghost. That would be so... Isn't Mr. Feeney a ghost in Girl Meets World or am I projecting ideas Actually, you're right. Uh, he's a ghost in the first episode, but then he's also revealed to be alive later on. It's so weird. They must have been testing the water. They were like, oh, I have a great idea. Let's make Mr. Feeney a Gus. And then they made that episode and they were like, no, no. I just no, don't understand. No. Like, he's still alive. Like, the actor's still alive. Just include him. He played Kit in Knight Rider. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> again, getting off topic. This is the off topic episode where we don't talk about the television show Gotham. Yeah, so they squat in Barbara's apartment. And this is another one of those things that the show does where it's really unclear how much time has passed. Because they're like, nobody's here and it's covered in dust and there's something rotten but it also kind of feels like this is maybe like two days after the previous episode yeah so catwoman um finds ivy pepper in the alleyway sick and like feels bad for her even though she was scared of her earlier yeah well she's and then she also finds harley pepper in the alleyway and then they go to barbara's apartment and they start the gotham city sirens God, that would be weird if the show came back <laughs> with them all as kids. Super weird. No, that's not what happens. It's just it's just the two of them. But then Barbara calls, which is the worst. It's <laughs> so of, weird. So first and foremost, let's talk about Barbara in general, which is something I don't like talking about because Barbara she's bad. She's a bad worst. character, and the show is bad. But about let's talk her. about how Barbara's sad because Barbara real sad. Barbara's sad. <laughs> Um, we don't even remember, she fights with, so like, so like, we see her in bed with Montoya. Which again, makes it seem like literally no time has passed between episodes. And she is potentially doing drugs, it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, um, what did they, I don't remember what, I wasn't paying attention and I couldn't tell what they were fighting about. 
Montoya was talking about how this relationship wasn't good. It's kind of toxic. Yeah. Um, something about alcoholism and doing drugs. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I'll call Jim for you. Which I was like, why is that a better option? <laughs> hey, Jim, I have your fiance over here. I, I have been sleeping with her. But, you but know, now she's come too... pick her up because she's too fucked up. Now, now she's too fucked up, but I can't do this. <laughs> I don't want her. <laughs> God, Montoya is so bad in this show. Yeah, instead of like taking care of someone who's in deep distress, she just shoves her out. Okay, so, like, again, this is a, a thing I could see comics Montoya doing, like, t- taking up with someone when they're vulnerable and then getting in over their head with how vulnerable this person is and then blowing them off. Like, it's and it's fucked up and it would have been played as, like, a moment of weakness. But the fact that we don't, like, get any of her, like, interiority in this, she's just, it just makes her come across like an irresponsible prick. Yeah. And, like... I mean, early Montoya, sure, I could see that, but, like, later Montoya is much better as a character. Anyway. That's why I said pre-52. Maybe even pre-Gotham uh, Central. Pre-Gotham Central. I'd say Gotham Central, she's a pretty stable and interesting character. Mm-hmm. She develops a really good relationship with this one person before she leaves them. Yeah, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. She still fucks up a bunch in Gotham Central. Whatever. Sure, but, like, she's not as terrible as, like, this. Anyway, it's really bad. Um, yeah, so Barbara is sad. Um, so she, in a moment of desperation later in the episode, decides to call her own apartment for I guess, Jim. Does he not have a cell phone? Also, no, he does have a cell phone, because we've seen him with it earlier in, like, the show. And also, it's her is, apartment? Is it possible that the police department has a cell phone that gets passed around between detectives, and he doesn't actually have his own cell phone? Maybe. He just sometimes has the police cell phone. Maybe. I'd buy that, I guess. But it's still, like, he, we've seen him with a cell phone. Yeah, but she calls her own apartment to find Jim. And then uh, Ivy... and is there squatting and eating something and picks up the phone and for some reason, which I'll never understand why, Barbara can't tell that she's talking to, like, a 12-year-old girl. I mean, she's supposed to be, like, putting on, like, a grown-up voice, I think. No, she's not even doing a voice. She's definitely doing a voice. No, she's not. It's a sickly girl. She's doing a... Absolutely, she's doing a voice. In no way in the world I could ever, like, imagine not knowing you're talking to a little girl. Well, I don't know. I mean, Barbara's clearly distressed and possibly drunk, so... But even then, like, even if it's another girl, you're already cheating on your fiancé. <laughs> like, are they broken up? I don't think they're broken up. Like, she just said she has to go, like, need some time for herself. She no, didn't no. say, we're breaking up and we're not going to get married anymore. They're not... She didn't even leave the ring. Yeah, it's, their situation is weird. But yeah, so she, like... I also kind of can't even really tell if... Ivy, if poi- if Pepper, what are we calling her? Poison Pepper. Let's call her Ivy. I kind of can't tell if Ivy is deliberately fucking with Barbara or not, because she's like, oh, Jim's not here right now, or he's not available right now. I'm a friend of Jim's, and it's unclear to me if she's like, oh, I'll, like, recognizes that this is Jim's girlfriend and wants to fuck with her, or if she's just like, I don't want this person to know that there are squatters in this apartment, so I pretend like I don't know the person she's asking for. Definitely the latter. I think she has no idea who she's talking to. And, again, she's just a kid. Yeah. Well, I also think that you think the kids in this are way younger than they actually are. Because they're supposed to be, they're like teenagers. They're not teenagers. They're definitely teenagers. Bruce is at least in high school. I think, yeah, he is. He's like 13. No. He's like 14. <laughs> what age he's do you think 8, you go to high 800. school? 8,800. You go to high school when you're 13. 
It's like freshman year. You're 13 and then you turn 14 during your freshman year, right? Uh, no, it's 14 freshman year. What? You're crazy. Yeah. No, because then you're 18. You graduated 18. Yeah, yeah. And you start senior year at 17. We're not going to. That's fine. It's fine. Whatever. Whatever. People are old or they're not old. Who knows? The point is, I feel like Barbara extremely overreacted to a little girl on the phone. Oh, yeah. Because not only did she get upset by the fact that Jim might be sleeping with a 12-year-old, but also (laughs) she told Poison Ivy, fuck you, and then threw the phone across the room. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Also, like, did she... It just seemed like the worst. Yeah, no, it's totally bonkers. Um... Like, I'm supposed to feel any sympathy for this character. I mean, you're supposed to. They don't do a good job of it. The other thing is, like, what what is her... What is her option there? Like, what what could she think is going on besides... Like, because if, if she does acknowledge that it's a kid, then it's like, what is happening? Why is there this kid in our apartment claiming to be friends with Jim? Like, I mean, what? it's fine. He's brought over um, friends before. He had that uh, great friend who limps a lot. Yeah. Well, here's the people that she knows that Jim knows and is brought to the apartment. Wait, does she know? Was she? Did she see Selena the first time we brought her over? Because she was she, Selena's been in the apartment. That's why she knows about it. I think so. Yeah. So she knows that he knows a a pickpocket, like a street urchin, Bullock. I mean, she doesn't <laughs> and the penguin. She might not know Selena because if she did know Selena, it'd make more sense that she just think that person on the phone was Selena. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, oh, it's not his other two friends who are Harvey Bullock and the bank. The whole thing's nonsense. Like, first off, she has no right to be mad. The weirdest thing... But also, like, it's even funnier if, like, what she thinks is true is true, because then Jim's using her apartment. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he let Bullock fuck in their apartment. Yeah, he did. He really did. We're getting hung up on this one part. (laughs) It's the bad part. So, let's talk about the penguin. Uh, yeah, he's... So, he <laughs> fails in this episode pretty badly, because he tries to get more money from some fishermen, and then the fishermen call the cops on him, then he says we own the cops, then he gets punched immediately in the face. <laughs> yeah, he rolled on that one on his intimidation check. <laughs> he gets completely owned. Completely. <laughs> it, was, it was, like, ridiculously funny. And also, it doesn't make any sense... Because, uh, like, later on, like, you'll see that he's, like, playing all sides against, like, you know, that's, like, been his whole thing. He's playing all sides against each other so he can come out on top. But him just go out of his way to raise taxes, which we find out later he wasn't supposed to be doing. Josh, the word of the pod is hubris. Actually, no. <laughs> it's not? Oh, I thought it was going to be. Is it door keys? It's keys. No, it's door keys specifically. They say the phrase door keys Every time they say keys, they say door keys. Not every time. I know you told me about that before. They say door keys twice. And the rest of the episode, they say keys a lot. Wow. So, the word of the pod is keys. Door keys, maybe. But door keys, keys, nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just him overplaying his hand. He just gets too greedy. Yeah. I mean, he's uh, greedy. That was just funny. But let's talk about door keys. <laughs> so, the whole uh, thing of the episode is that Frogman Jones... Was electrocuted. <laughs> He's a neo-Nazi who believes that a bullfrog lives in his abdomen and tells him what to do. And his last name is Jones. So, Frogman Jones. Yeah, he's the guy who attacks the, the thespian 
in the beginning. Right. And then the big MacGuffin of this whole episode is that in the, that scuffle, one of the guards' keys goes missing, and that's what's enabling the person who is electrocuting the patients to get around the asylum freely. Yes, and so for the longest time, they talk about who has the keys and what are the keys, and are these door keys or are these not door keys? Yeah. Um, so. Is you or is you not my door keys? <laughs> so um, they have this kind of like interrogation scene on the stage where they had the thespian play, mm-hmm. where he's like going through each person asking about keys, and it's set to a montage by a song that is so aptly named "Figure It Out" by Royal Blood. Talk about a good jam. Okay, good jam. <laughs> Um, but, but he's trying to figure it out. Yeah, and he can't do it. No, he can't. It was, the, did the, not go well. Unsurprisingly, the patients at Arkham Asylum are unhelpful and erratic. Yeah, and he can't tell who had motive to try and attack Frogman Jones. Yeah. I like the one guy who just cries <laughs> when he tries to interrogate him. He doesn't say anything. He just starts weeping. Um, and then there's another guy who's wearing a cardigan who just starts banging on the desk over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim's response is to just keep yelling at him, settle down. There's another guy who, like, this big dude. It's like, just like, it goes, ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, then, interrogating the, uh, that doesn't go well for him. No, it does not. He does a really bad job of solving the crime in this episode. Yes. In fact, he just doesn't do it. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Um, he interviews the would-be crimer, uh, who goes by the name of Gruber. Yes. Uh, and... Subtle. Like, he's clearly the bad guy. Yeah. But he just kind of, like, he doesn't register anything with Jim. He's not the guy who plays fucking Woodrow in Batman and Robin and also Lex Luthor's dad in Smallville, but he's basically that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Is that so? Yeah. I forget that dude's name. Okay. And then we have the other scene where uh, Fish and Butch are on a mission to establish taking over for Carmine. John Glover. That's the name of the actor that this guy isn't but looks almost exactly <laughs> like. Donald Glover? Yes, Donald Glover. Weird. I don't think he looks like that at all. No, he does. Okay. Okay. You know, I guess you just don't remember what Donald Glover looks like. I probably don't. Anyway. Um, so, with Fish and Butch, <laughs> they meet with oh. these two guys that are part of the crime family and one of them's supposed to have deep connections to Butch. Yeah, he's like Butch's old childhood friend. Yeah. What I was going to say is that they're, like, setting up a scene where, like, he's clearly next in line to take over after Falcone. And, like, he's not on Fish's side. He wants to be the boss. Mm-hmm. And Fish wants Butch to go talk to his old friend. And then as he's about to walk away, she looks at him in the eye and says, You're not turning on me, are you? He's like, No. And then walks away, but like clearly his face is like mixed emotions. But like up until that point, you had no idea how much of a close relationship they might have had. So you have no idea if like there are any like things about it. So it's another case of like Gotham doing this thing where it's showing and not telling. We're just like up in the face, like, Oh, is Butch gonna turn on fish? Well, I mean, like, yeah, it's We weird. can't, we can't just like. Take that from what's going on. We have to take that from the dialogue from Fish. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's weird. It's just sort of happened in the other order, right? Because when he goes and meets with the guy, they have a conversation about how they were, how far back they go. Yeah, which, like, would have been better on its own instead of Fish literally, like, a moment before saying, you're not going to turn on me, are you, Butch? Yeah. 
real heavy hand. But we do find out about their old school meat heist. <laughs> they robbed the butcher. They robbed the butcher and stole a lot of meat. But then Butch kept all of the prime steak for himself. And he didn't give any to his friend. But then his friend said, ah, oh, forget about it. It's forget. fine. And then Butch shoots him. It's cold. Which is real cold. Also, like, he made good points. Because, like, here's the thing. Fish kind of sucks. And she does. She clearly has no loyalty to anybody that works with her. She's just taking care of herself, looking out for number one. Mm-hmm. And Butch backs her over a guy who he's been friends with since childhood. And a guy who offered him, as a start, as a signing on bonus, all these businesses that he would run. It clearly makes no sense for Butch to join in with Fish over this guy. And yeah. shoot his friend cold-bloodedly. I mean, he's extremely low to fish, and we don't really understand why. I don't know if it's ever really explained what the genesis of their relationship is. It would have been nice to know a little bit more about that in this episode, because it kind of feels out of place that he does that. I mean, maybe maybe it's supposed to be kind of a twist, but I don't know. Uh, and there was some, something I forgot to mention. During the scene where they're talking in Fish's bar with the, the two guys in the family, um, like, when they're talking about her taking over, one of the other guys says, Yeah, I get it. Women can be in power. Women's live and all that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> he doesn't want to seem like he's a sexist. Sure, but like women's live? Lib. Like, he says women's lib. Like women's liberation. Uh, to me it sounds like women's live. Like, yeah, I know. Women exist. <laughs> women are alive. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> no, he says women's live. That makes more sense. I totally did not get that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, you know, I'm not a sexist or anything. It's just I don't want you to be in charge specifically because you're bad. <laughs> Um, I don't want to go back to Barbara for a second because there was something I wanted to mention about the time difference in the show, which makes no sense. Yeah. Um, we were talking about how things seem to progress, but also don't seem to progress. Uh, Montoya was saying before she could figure out how it's gone on, on for too long. Yeah. How I mean, long has it gone on for? I think this is supposed to be like a month after the previous episode. Has... It's been a month where the gym's been in Arkham? Yeah, I think so. Because when the director, like, talks to him, it feels like their first interaction. Yeah, but, I mean, maybe... And also, he first meets Dr. Tompkins this episode. Well, Dr. Tompkins works in the other ward, which apparently he doesn't really go to. Sure. I think it's supposed to be, like, nothing's really happened at Arkham until this moment, and that's why he's talking to the director for the first time, really. It is confusing. Like, it definitely seems like parts of this episode seem like they take place a month after the previous episode, and parts of this episode seem like they take place, like, a day after. It's so the, weird. But I think it's supposed to be more time than it seems. The show is bad at showing us how much time has passed. Definitely. Because this is, like, the second time we've had this conversation where, like, uh, how long has this been going on? Like, I don't even know. I have no idea how long it's supposed to be since Gordon joined the Force. Like, came to Gotham. Like, I think it's been almost a year? It feels that way, even though we're only 11 episodes in. Yeah. It's nuts. But also, you could tell me that it's been, like, two months, and I would believe you. Yeah. It could be a year or two months, which is just so weird of a time range. Yeah. At some point, uh, the electric, uh, the electrocutions in the arc, and the asylum still keep happening, uh, so Jim calls in Bullock to help out. Yeah. And Bullock comes in and he meets this one victim who got shocked so bad that he can only recite Shakespeare. Yeah, that's the first guy. I mean, the, the guy who gets attacked by Frogman is that dude. And he talks about something else crying and Bullock's like, I can dig it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he sees Jim and he gives him a big wet one. 
Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> They're good friends. Jim, Miscus, yeah, that's that's what makes me think it's been longer. Yeah, exactly. Because like it's like also like why wouldn't they have hung out since then? Yeah, well, I don't know. It's just so weird. They're busy. They're both busy. <laughs> but he literally just like gives him a kiss on the mouth, which is just so out of place. Because like. They have a real tenuous friendship before this. The only absence time makes the heart grow fonder, the, the mouth grow wetter. <laughs> Gross. The only time we've seen them like actually hang out is when they were going to get that Schubert. Yeah, they're buddies, Josh. It's fine. <laughs> um, I, Bullock hates everyone that's near him, but if you're away from him for long enough, he grows to love you. That explains why he likes fish so much. Exactly, because he doesn't barely ever sees her. <laughs> then uh, when they have Penguin in jail, uh, Bullock compares him to a bonsai tree. <laughs> Penguin's like partner, wacky dude, is like, what's a bonsai tree? <laughs> Great to look at. Very soothing. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to let Penguin out of the jail cell. Like, he why he denies you? him a phone call. Yeah. Well, fuck him. Is, sure, just... fuck him, but like... You know, no, it's not cool. That's not good cop procedure. You should, should be allowed to have a phone call. But I totally understand why Bullock would want to fuck with him. Definitely. He says a very, like... I mean, you wouldn't need just looking at him. You'd be like, I want to fuck with that guy. But that leads up to Maroney coming in to get Penguin. <laughs> Can we talk about what Penguin says? Like, okay, so they've established very hard in this scene that the Penguin smells really bad because he hasn't showered in a day. Yeah. But there's a part where he says the line... I've only had a moist towelette since yesterday, which definitely makes it sound like he ate it. Yeah, he 100% ate that moist towelette. You know he did. He likes tuna fish sandwiches and moist towelettes. 100%. So then Peroni comes in and... Mm, This is my favorite bit of dialogue in the whole episode. first because he talks about his entire, like... He talks about his business... In the middle of the cop house. Yeah, dude, it's called dramatic irony. He's giving him a speech about hubris while acting incredibly hubristically. Because <laughs> he's a fucking hypocrite. It's great. he's Big Mouth Moroni. He is. It's amazing. And then he says to the penguin, you're a monkey, but you're, you're a smart monkey, but you're still a monkey. And I'm the zookeeper. Yeah. That, and that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down, my note for that part was just, I love the dialogue in this show. <laughs> So dumb, but so great. Uh, it's just overall ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but the show ends up with, uh, we find out that the seemingly sidekick nurse that Gordon's been having for a while is an inmate of Arkham Asylum, or was an inmate of yeah, Arkham Asylum. Super we- Her whole backstory is super weird, and like just happens very quickly. She was a nursing student as a 16 year old which again makes the time period of the show seem really weird because that sounds like something that would have happened in like the 50s um but she killed a bunch of kids with poison candy and was committed to arkham asylum she killed those kids and called it homework yeah and that's never really explained either and then she hung way close to the asylum and she just lived in the basement for like 10 years at least. And then they reopened the asylum. And, and she, she just like donned a nursing costume and no one questioned it. Like the director specifically. He knows. And he thinks he's just. Well because his whole deal is that it's like. You have limited resources. Municipal shit sucks. Like you just do. You make do with what you have. So I guess the idea is like. She's been a perfectly fine nurse. So let's just let her be a nurse. Because we need a nurse. 
That's real fucked up, though. It is real fucked up. Like, I can't tell what's worse. The fact that he didn't know and just, like, thought she was a nurse, um, but then kind of thought she might have been, like, the crime committer, um, or he just, like, knew she was an inmate and made her a nurse anyway. I mean... She killed kids. Kids! Yeah, but she hadn't killed... Kids! She hadn't killed anybody in ten years, and she's been a perfectly fine nurse. Like, it's fucked up. And I don't, I'm not saying you made the right decision, but I think that's what's going on there. And then she goes out. Very sad. Yeah, it's so gruesome. So what she does is she opens up the asylum uh, to cause confusion so she can escape and lets everybody out. And then she gets trampled to death by the inmates that she just let out. And it's just over the top gruesome. It's so fucked up. And in my opinion, trampling is like one of the saddest deaths, like ever. Yeah, it's bad. And I just, you like, I know she's a terrible person, but I feel for her. Yeah, I mean, she also, we find out that she got electrocuted by, the way that they realize that she's not the killer is she has the marks on her neck, so she was also electrocuted by Gruber, which might be why she was so docile uh, in the beginning of the episode. So so the end of the episode, we see Jack Gruber escaping with another inmate that he's kind of made his servant through electrocution yeah. efforts, and that's kind of it. So it's kind of like a two-parter, I guess. Yes, it is a two-parter. Uh, so, yeah, this episode was weird. It was super weird. But I think it's like... Either Jim's like not going to be at Arkham for much longer because he's fired because he's the worst at being a security guard. Or he's immediately going to go back to being a detective because like his career at Arkham's over regardless. We'll find out in the next episode. That would be crazy if he was only... And a guard at Arkham for one episode. What is the next episode called? Is this season... It's little. What the Little Bird Told Me. Oh, is that really the title? Yep. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, Josh. Oh, let's do the... the any movement on the um, villains? Uh, yeah, Frogman Jones goes to number one. That's not a, not a character from the comics, <laughs> sadly. Um, I don't think this episode warrants any movement on the villain list. We don't see too much of the villain besides... Catwoman and Poison Ivy just kind of hanging out in Barbara's apartment. And Poison Ivy gets the business given to her by Barbara. Fair. <laughs> Completely ridiculous. <laughs> and, um, Penguin doesn't do much this episode either. He just goes to jail. And eats and a police toilet. Maroney's great, but he's just in regular form. Um, yeah. He's exactly the Maroney that you expect him to be. He doesn't really surprise. Yeah, I don't think there's any movement on the list. So let's just recite the list for what it is. Yeah, so now this is our list of Gotham's interpretations of comic villains. Number 10, the Riddler, Edward Nigma, who's not in this episode. He's in the next episode. Oh, uh, no, we see him. No, we don't see him in this episode. No. Right. Uh, number 9, Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Two-Face, who is not in this episode. I'm not going to say who everybody who's not in this episode. I just mentioned the Riddler because he's a regular cast member. Uh, number eight is Thomas Elliot, a.k.a. Hush. Number seven is The Black Mask, a.k.a. Roman Sionis. Number six is Poison Pepper Ivy. Number five is Sal Big Mouth Maroney. Number four is Selena Catwoman Kyle. Number three is Carmine the Roman Falcone. I don't think they ever used that nickname in this. They have. They have. They called we, him the Roman. Yeah, oh, Fish calls him the Roman, right? Yes. Number two is Oswald Cobblepot, a.k.a. the Penguin, the Tau Leader himself. And number one is Victor Zaz, a.k.a. Mr. Zaz, who's, spoiler alert, he's in the next episode. Man. Every time we talk about an episode, you love talking about the next episode. He still doesn't have eyebrows. <laughs> and I don't think he ever will. 
Because <laughs> which is part of the reason why he's at the top. Yeah, Perfectly. get those eyebrows. Also, why Josh's favorite Street Fighter character is Guile. Of course, who's isn't? Are you telling me yours is not Guile? He's up there. I don't know if he's my favorite. America. I'm a big Blanca guy myself. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. He's a monster man who will learn how to do electricity from eels. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, Very characteristic of you. Yep, I love eels. Josh, do you love the television show Gotham? Mm, Not after this episode. Definitely not. This episode's better, though, right? We're on the upswing. We're getting... We're approaching... This episode's a little bit of a clusterfuck. uh, Because Jim is shown to be competent Mm -hmm. in every episode, but this one... Yeah, he's really bad in this episode. (laughs) He's very bad. He makes a bunch of assumptions that he doesn't really interrogate. Uh, yeah, but I gotta say, like, on the scale, on the spectrum that runs from Harvey Dent to Balloon Man, this is way closer to Balloon Man. <laughs> Why is Harvey Dent at the bottom? Why isn't the Riddler at the bottom? Oh no, the episode, Harvey oh, Dent. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, that is the worst episode. Um, uh, okay. No, that makes sense. Uh, Nate, do you hate the show Gotham? No, fuck no. This episode was good. This episode so. restored my faith. I mean, it was not. Like, mind-blowing, it was not a Balloon Man, but it was like, there's Frogman Jones in it. There is Frogman Jones. So, with that, viewers uh, or listeners, tune in next time. Find out if Frogman Jones does come back. If the Gotham City Sirens will consist of 11-year-old girls. And if Nate will consistently talk about Blanca next episode. They're not 11, and Blanca rules. (laughs) Tune in next time. (laughs) 